Please take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, we've been in a sermon series where we are studying Matthew 8 and 9 together. And in these two chapters, there are ten miracles recorded of Jesus that give witness to his power and his authority. And uh, this morning, uh, so far in the series, we've looked at eight of these ten miracles. This morning, we're going to look at the last two that are recorded uh, in these two chapters. And one of these has to do with the healing of, a blind, of two blind men, and the other has to do with the healing of a demon-possessed man who could not talk. In Matthew 9, 27 to 34, God's Word puts the spotlight clearly on Jesus, our Deliverer from darkness. And this morning, I want us to look at these two miracles together. And I want to look at them together because I want to see their relationship to one another. But then beyond that, I want us to see how this applies to our lives today. So follow along with me as we read the word of the Lord, beginning in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Then he entered the house. The blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were open, and then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. But they went out, and they spread the news about him throughout that whole area. Now just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. And when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of demons. This morning, as we look at this passage, it presents three truths to us. And I want to look at these one at a time. The first thing we see is that Jesus delivers from spiritual darkness. We also see that Jesus destroys the works of the prince of darkness. And then thirdly, I want us to see that this is a call. Because this demands a decision on what we believe about Jesus' ability to cancel out the spiritual darkness in our own lives. So first of all, I want us to look at Jesus delivers us from spiritual darkness. We see this in the first few verses of this passage. Each of Jesus' miracles has a spiritual meaning. And when we look at this particular uh, uh, healing, these two healings, we find that blindness symbolizes spiritual darkness. And it's that state of being blind to God's truth. And so that's the spiritual truth that's being presented in this healing miracle. And the healing of the two blind men shows us Jesus has power over spiritual darkness. And before we consider its spiritual application, what I want us to do is I want to just kind of walk through a few of these verses because there are some things worth noting in this passage that give clearer understanding of what takes place when Jesus heals these two blind men and uh, he restores their sight. 
Now, first of all, what I see in the passage is that these two blind men believed Jesus was the Messiah. We see this because when they approach Jesus, the words that they use are they address him as the Son of God. Now, everyone who was in Israel, all Jews, understood clearly that Jesus would be a descendant of David. And so they looked for the son of David, and when they were hearing these words spoken, or when they spoke these words, it was their outward confession that they were saying, we believe you are the Messiah. Now, you remember this links up with Matthew's purpose in his gospel, because in his gospel, how does Matthew begin? He begins in Matthew 1.1 by telling us, this is what this gospel is about. And what is the first line of his gospel? It says, for this reason, I begin this gospel, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here we come to this healing miracle in Matthew chapter 9. And one of the things we notice is that this is the first time someone other than Matthew actually addresses Jesus as the son of David. So there might, uh, then you look at this miraculous healing. And miraculous healings were associated with the coming of the son of David, the Messiah. And I notice in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, that it says something specific that relates to these two miracles that we are studying together this morning. In Matthew 35, 5 and 6, it says this. Now underscore this. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap, for, for, uh, will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. So in the Gospels, what we have is there are more miracles of Jesus healing the blind than any other miracle that Jesus performed. I didn't know that until I looked it up, but I believe there are six different occasions where Jesus heals a person who is blind and restores their sight. And the kingdom of God had come because they recognized that Jesus was performing these miracles that had never been seen in Israel before now. I notice also in that 27th verse that the blind men are calling out, have mercy on us. I believe I'm accurate in saying that there was never a single occasion where anyone ever cried out to Jesus asking for him to have mercy on them who was ever denied that mercy. You know, mercy is related to justice. Justice gives us a picture of a judge behind a bench having heard the case presented and Having heard the evidence presented, they realize that the person standing before them is totally guilty. But these persons are crying out for mercy. And I picture myself standing before God and saying to him, God, I know what I deserve, but I cry out to you. I ask for mercy. You know what this passage tells us? It tells us that God delights to give us mercy. The person who calls out to God will not be denied if they call out to him in the name of Jesus and ask for God to show them mercy. But also we notice in verse 28 that the miracle takes place indoors. Now that's not insignificant. We saw this just in the last passage that we studied together 
And we notice that Jesus doesn't heal the two blind men right away. He waits until they go inside. Now we reflect on that. We recall that before Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, what did he do? He put the people outside the house before he performed the miracle. And when he heals these two blind men, what does he do? He waits until they're inside, away from the crowd. And I see a connection here, and I'm going to speak more about this in just a moment when we get to verse 30. But there's a connection between Jesus putting these people outside the house and Jesus telling these two men, make sure you tell no one about this miracle. I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But we notice also in verse 29, and this is the next thing that we see, we see this emphasis on faith again. Faith, 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 faith has been emphasized over and over again. And what does Jesus say to these two men in Matthew 9, 29? Let it be done to you according to your faith. According to your faith. So faith is a common theme throughout this section on miracles. We've seen this over and over again in Matthew 8 and 9 as we've looked at these 10 miracles. You've got the faith of the paralytic. You've got the faith of the centurion. You've got the faith of Jairus the ruler. You've got the faith of the woman when bleeding. And it's not just faith in God that is required. It's faith in Jesus specifically. Now notice Jesus doesn't ask these individuals, do you believe that I can call on God the Father and that he will heal you? That's not what Jesus said. What does he say? Do you believe that I can do this? So it's not just faith in God, but it's faith in Jesus that counts. And also I notice in this passage that God heals according to our faith, not in proportion to our faith. Why is that important? Well, a lot of times we'll heal people talking about, well, you just don't have enough faith. You just don't believe enough. The emphasis in this passage and on this phrase is not on the amount of faith we have, but the emphasis is on the one in whom we place our faith. Now, moving on to verse 29, there's another thing I see in this passage that's worth pointing out because it gives understanding to what's taking place here as Jesus exercises his power over spiritual darkness. Verse 29 shows that Jesus touched their eyes before he healed them. You know, we've seen this over and over again. Physical touch has been a common theme in these healings. He touched the leopard before he healed him. He touched Peter's mother-in-law on the hand. He took the ruler's daughter by the hand when he raised her from the dead. And the woman with bleeding was healed when she reached out and she touched the robe of Jesus. Physical touch is showing us that Jesus has compassion and also it shows Jesus' very presence and involvement in the healing miracle that's taking place. And yet it should be pointed out that Jesus is not proposing to us that we follow a certain pattern for healing. This is not a formula that one follows. It's not like saying, well, if you physically touch them, that must be the first step to healing. Every healing accomplished by the Lord Jesus is a testimony to the creative, unique creative power of God at work in a person's life. Then I want you to know lastly with me in verse 30, that Jesus warns them not to tell anyone. 
He did the same thing with the leper back in the leper back in Matthew chapter 8 verse 4. Jesus tells these men not to tell anyone for three reasons. First, pagans and religious outsiders were ready to hear the good news about Jesus. But Jesus' own people were not ready to hear the message about Jesus. Now we know this is true over and over again because Capernaum is primarily made up of Jewish people. And this is headquarters for Jesus. But we notice that it's located in a region on a highway, an international highway, where there are foreigners passing through all the time. We know on the Mount of uh, Beatitudes that when Jesus spoke there, there was a mixed crowd of people there. There were people who were religious Jews, and then there were people who from pagan nations who were east of the Jordan River. So you have all of these people mixed together, but here he is in Capernaum, and what is his instruction? He says to them, make sure you don't tell anybody about this. And the reason for that is because his own people were not yet ready to hear the message. But a second reason for that is that Jesus didn't want people focusing on his miracles, but rather he wants them focused on his message. And he knows that if they focus on the miracles, what they'll do is they'll miss the message of why he was sent, why he came, and why he was going to die on a cross. But there's a third reason, and I think it relates also back up to those instructions that we heard earlier when Jesus said to them, let it be done for you according to your faith, and Jesus worked in their lives. And Jesus said to them, I'm going to bring you inside, and I'm going to do this miracle. I, I think this is the relationship between him bringing them inside away from the public and also to him coming and giving them this instruction. And that third reason is this, is because if this news circulated among his own people, it would only accelerate the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus knew in the schedule, in the sovereignty of God, the cross was still three years away. So Jesus performs this miracle in private, and then he gives them this stern warning, be sure no one finds out about this. Well, it says these were the blind men, they were not the deaf. But somehow the message didn't get through because it says what they do, they ran outside, they told everybody, and throughout the region they said, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And that's what we need to pay attention to, the message, because if you look at the wording in Matthew 9, 31, look what it says. It says they went out and spread the good news about what? About Him. And so the focus of their message when they go out, Jesus says, make sure you go out and you don't tell anybody about this. What you see happening here is that they're not going out and making their healing the focus of their message. They're going out and they're telling people about Jesus, the Messiah. 
Now, what is the application for us as we think about our world and our own lives and the people around us on the pews with us this morning? Well, the ugly truth is this, that people prefer darkness to light. Speaking in John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, Jesus declares, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. When Jesus came into the world, he came as light exposing darkness. But the world rejected that light because people don't want their sins exposed. <laughs> now, I don't have to tell you that I'm not talking about a bunch of people out there. I'm talking about a bunch of people in here. Many people prefer darkness to light. And consider this thought. Jesus came offering light to those who are in darkness. John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now in the Bible, darkness is a symbol of sin. It's a symbol of rebellion. It's a symbol of lostness. But when you follow along in the scriptures, you find that by contrast, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 9 tells us this. The fruit of light consists of all godliness, righteousness, and truth. It's just the opposite of sin, rebellion, and lostness. The good news of the gospel, friends, is that Jesus offers light to those who walk in darkness. Now, when Jesus commissioned the Apostle Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, these were his words to the Apostle Paul. He says in Acts chapter 26, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice that the offer of light over darkness includes forgiveness of sin and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus' healing of the two blind men demonstrates he has the power to deliver us from spiritual darkness. And secondly, I want you to notice this. Secondly, Jesus destroys the works of the prince of darkness. In verses 22 and 23, we read these words. Now, just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. And when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has encountered a person who's demon-possessed. This man is suffering from demon possession, and Jesus delivers him from demon possession. But when you go back in Matthew chapter 8, you notice that Jesus also healed a demon-possessed man. And what makes this miracle unique from that first healing of the man who was demon-possessed is that it's the first occasion of Jesus healing 
someone who was mute. Now there's a clear connection between this miracle and the one before it because both have to do with Jesus' power over darkness. That's the relationship between the two miracles. And later in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, this becomes even more clear when Jesus heals a man who is blind, mute, and demon-possessed. Jesus delivers from spiritual darkness, and Jesus destroys the works of the prince of darkness. I've been amazed over and over again at how God has orchestrated this series because I couldn't have timed it any better myself. I mean, all we've been doing is we've been taking the Word of God, and we've been walking right through it, and then we come up on our calendar, and it's our week of prayer for international missions, and we're talking about spiritual lostness in our world and what we can do to bring the light of Jesus Christ to it. And today we're entering into a week of prayer for international missions, praying that uh, our gifts and through our prayers these people will be reached with the gospel The truth of the matter is when we send those people out, what we're doing is we're declaring this good news, and that is that Jesus has power over the prince of darkness. In John 10.10, Jesus declares, A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Satan only wants to bring harm into people's lives. Jesus only wants to bring goodness and light into our lives. And whenever we counter demon possession in the Bible, what do we notice? It always affects the person in a negative way. In Mark chapter 9, the boy with the demon had seizures and he threw himself into the fire. In Matthew chapter 8, a demon-possessed man ran around and naked and cut themselves. In Luke chapter 13, it tells us about a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years. And here, what do we read? We read a man who is demon-possessed, who's mute. He can't talk. Once again, Satan only wants to bring harm to our lives. What we notice in our passage is it applies to us that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Sometimes people reject the good news of the gospel when we share it with them because Satan, the prince of darkness, has blinded their minds so that they can't see the truth of the gospel. That's exactly what the Bible tells us. You ever have an occasion where you're out sharing the gospel with somebody and despite all your best efforts, despite you trying to get through to them, it's just like you're looking at a blank stare. Or maybe you get a negative reaction from that person. Uh, You know, we don't share the gospel with people so that we may get another notch on our gospel gun. That's not the reason why we share the gospel. We share the gospel with people because we love them and we want them to know the same love of Jesus Christ that we ourselves have experienced. And that's why it's so hard to understand why somebody rejects us. The Bible tells us there's more going on than what we see. And one of the things that's going on is that there's spiritual warfare that's taking place. And Satan, the god of darkness, is trying to shut their eyes to the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
But then we notice also that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Satan came to destroy God's work, but Jesus came to destroy the devil's works. The healing of the demon-possessed man who was mute carries an important spiritual lesson for us, and that important spiritual lesson is those who are blind to the truth can't speak the truth. But when God opens our eyes, he also opens our mouths. When these men were delivered from their blindness, when they were healed, when they confessed Jesus as the Son of God, what do they do? They go out and tell everybody. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Now lastly, I want you to notice in our passage this morning that Jesus demands a decision. He demands a decision concerning his power over the spiritual darkness And now we're not talking about everybody out there. We're talking about the spiritual darkness in our own lives. In verses 33 and 34, we see that there are two very different reactions to Jesus' miracles. The crowd's reaction was what? One of amazement. The healing of the blind man was, or blind men was something new. Nobody had seen this before in Israel. The casting out of the demon who had been made mute was also a, no thing, a new thing. Nobody had ever seen anybody healed where they were delivered from a demon and that they could speak following their deliverance. This was a sign that the kingdom of God had come. The kingdom had come because the king had come. The Pharisees' reaction, on the other hand, was what? It was one of reject, rejection. It was one of unbelief. And by sharing these two reactions with us, Jesus is pressing you and me to decide as well. You know, there's several different groups of people who are represented in this passage. Each group has a different attitude toward Jesus. And each one takes a different approach if we want to share Jesus with them. First of all, we notice in the passage that some are already seeking Jesus. Praise God, there's some people out there that are already seeking Jesus. They're like the blind men who came seeking Jesus to deliver them. The Holy Spirit had already been working in their lives. God had already been opening their minds to receive the truth of the good news of Jesus. They were ready to Publicly profess before others, Jesus is the Messiah. He is God. He is the Lord. You know what we need to do? We need to find them and we need to encourage them in their decision. Secondly, some don't know that they're captive to Satan. We need to warn them. We need to pray for them. We need to bring him to Jesus. The demon-possessed man who was mute, he didn't come to Jesus on his own. 
He was brought to Jesus. Many around us are not seeking Jesus. They don't know they're captive to Satan. And we need to warn them of their state. That sounds like that might be a tough conversation. And it might not be welcome. And you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when you share something like that with somebody. But the truth of the matter is, is we understand that there are wicked forces at work in the spirit world. And that God is at work. And that God has the authority over all spiritual darkness. But there are many people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that need to be warned. And they need to be told, listen, you're under the influence of Satan. He has blinded your mind to the truth. And then thirdly, we notice that some have hardened their hearts toward God and we need to continue praying for them. They're like the Pharisees who outright rejected Jesus. Now the Pharisees, they didn't deny these miracles, that miracles had been performed, and yet they could still deny Jesus. Later in Matthew 12, Jesus will elaborate further on their attitude and he'll relate it to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Have you heard of the unforgivable sin? There's only one. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it relates to this very passage that we're studying right here. And later, Jesus will elaborate on it in Matthew chapter 12. And I want you to hear, because that passage presents a frightening prospect. Matthew chapter 12, verses 30 to 32 says this. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, even in, either in this age or in the age to come. Some people have so hardened their hearts against God that they just don't want to have anything to do with God or with Christ. And they may even blaspheme the Holy Spirit attributing the works of Jesus to the works of the devil. They've crossed the line of no return. Now you remember in the Old Testament, God gave a commission to Moses. He said, I'm going to set my people free. I want you to go and I want you to go and tell Pharaoh. And if you follow the story along, you know that the Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He wouldn't receive the message. He hardened his heart. They came to him. He hardened his heart. He willfully hardened his heart until what happens at the end of the story? You know what God says? Okay, well, have it your way. Now, that is a frightening prospect. And I just want to say to you this morning that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there's no time like the present 
to turn from darkness to light. Now is the acceptable time of salvation. Don't say, well, you know, I'll do it later. I'll do it another time. Now is the perfect time for you to say yes to Jesus. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, I think as I studied this passage of Scripture, I know I did a lot of soul searching this week. You know what I found out? I don't live in the light as much as I sometimes present myself to others as living in the light. Now, I want you to know I don't have any deep, dark secrets that I've come here this morning to confess. I just am saying that because the truth that came across to me is that there is no such thing as a secret sin. Do y'all understand that? There is no secret sin. God knows all of it. But there is such a thing as unconfessed sin. And any sin that we cherish and hold in our hearts, and we think, you know, well, nobody else knows about it. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not going to do anything that's going to bother anybody else. I'll just keep that to myself. You're living in darkness. Jesus said that he wants to have fellowship with us. And this is what he says. Light cannot have fellowship with darkness. Now he loves you and you're his child and he bought you as a believer in Jesus Christ to be his own, to live in fellowship with you. To be in fellowship with one another means that we walk in the light as he is in the light. You know how good it would feel today for you just to confess your sin and to say to him, Jesus, let's get back to the way things once were. When everything was in the open, I had nothing to hide from you or anybody else. You know how good that feels? When you don't have to worry about how you told the story to somebody else because you may not tell it the same way to someone else. It feels real good. But I see also here this morning that all of us together need to come together in prayer that the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ will go out to the whole world. This is our week of prayer for international missions. We've got a prayer guide. I don't know if any of, any of y'all ever use that in your home. It's wonderful if you're a couple or if you're a single adult. It's great for you just to guide your devotion, have it along your devotion book, make that your devotion for the day. Anybody in here ever have, any husbands in here ever have trouble praying with your wives? You always, you know, you said, I'm going to do that. We're going to get into the habit of doing that we're going to get into the, we're, we're going to, one day we're going to, your day is here. Amen. You can take that prayer guide, and every night or every morning when you get up, if you have time, and go through that prayer guide for the next eight days, and have prayer time with your wife. 
And that'll make you feel real good. We need to let everybody know that Jesus loves them. And currently we're receiving our offering for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Because there's a ton of people who are living in darkness. You saw all these people groups and many of those people groups they don't have as far as we know someone a physical presence there to share the good news of Jesus with them. I, I come to this time in my own life. You, there, there was a time when uh, uh, by the way I've seen lots of times <laughs> there was this time and then there were I've seen lots of times. Anybody ever here remember that time we used to sing this hymn, Wherever He Leads I'll Go? Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> I mean, there was many a time I sang that song. And some of the time I actually meant it. Then there were other times it was wherever he leads I'll go as long as I can stay here and do it. <laughs> are you with me? Do you realize right now there are people who actually did say wherever he leads I'll go who surrendered and went to another country to learn another language they didn't know to live with the people where they left all of their relatives. No Christmas. No Christmas with family. No Christmas tree at home. They went there because they followed God's leading wherever he leads. I'll go. And they went. And our Christmas offering allows them to stay on the field and do what? Not have to come home and raise money. It allows them to stay right there at the work. I can't think of anything better that you or I could do than to make our biggest gift at Christmas to Jesus. Make our largest gift to support telling other people in the world. Why? Because we live in a world of spiritual darkness. And we have the light. You ever walk into a dark room, can't find the light switch on the wall? You take out your phone. You notice the littlest light dispels all the darkness? Because here's the good news. Darkness can't overcome the light. And if we'll let the light into our lives, it can't overcome our life either. Light will win out over darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the victorious good news that Jesus, you came into this world to be the light of the world. Lord, we love you. And I pray for that man, that woman, that uh, teenager who's making up decisions every day about how they're going to live their life. And 
Lord, I just pray that today would be a freeing day where they could come to you and just say, you know, God, I just, I just want to live totally open before you. I don't want to have to hide anything from anybody anymore. I just, Lord, what you see of me, I want others to see of me. I don't want to present myself to be something I'm not. Lord, that would be our prayer today. And today, if you'd say, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord, please do not leave until you tell someone about that today, here, while you're here. And our ministers will be down here at the front following our service. And it seems like almost every week we have somebody coming forward to talk with us about a decision that they're making for Christ today. And we want you to come and tell us that you're wanting to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Or maybe, as Andy mentioned, you've never followed through on baptism. Jesus commands us to be baptized because he says it's a way to tell the whole world what I have done for you. And we do it in obedience to Christ, not because the church tells us to do it. We do it to Christ, for Christ. And maybe that's your decision. You'd come down and share that with us this morning. As we stand together right now and sing together, Tom, you come and lead us.